Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Steve. It's uh, good to be with you today. We have been in a series in the book of Matthew, which um, we will not finish the book next week, but we will finish the section that we are in. Then we'll take a break. We'll come back to it at a later date. Uh, I'll be gone for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to begin a new series through the book of Daniel as we look at what's coming up in God's program. And uh, But today, uh, we are still in Matthew chapter 13. We have noted that, uh, historically, that the Bible is a unified book. It's the only book God ever wrote. Over a period of roughly 1,600 years, 40 different human authors, the New Testament tells us, they were bore along by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God undergirded them, so what they wrote was God's word to us. And because there is one Spirit that undergirded the writing of the Bible, there is a unified message, there's unified themes that tie the Bible together. And one of those major themes that we find in the scripture is the concept of God's kingdom. We know clear back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, God created man and woman, and they were in unity or in in oneness with God. That God spent time with them in the garden, and they conversed with each other, talked with each other, and then God's good creation was stained by sin. And the Bible defines sin as anything that uh, is contrary to God's character. Uh, any thought, any act that is contrary to who God is and what he reveals in the Bible as right and wrong. And sin caused a division between humanity and God. A division that we can't fix. So since the entrance of sin into the world, God is about bringing all of his good creation Back into oneness with him. He is doing a work of restoration. That culminates in the cross of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament looked forward to one. Who would be considered God's son. Who will come to earth and save humanity from sin. We go to the book of Isaiah in chapters 42 through 53. And it talks about this Messiah, this servant, who will actually be pierced through for our sin. He will die in our stead. The psalmist David talked about the fact that that the Holy One, Messiah, would not undergo decay. Foretelling the fact that Jesus would not remain in the grave, but would rise again from the dead. And the Old Testament foresaw a time when this son of God, this anointed king, which the word Messiah means anointed one, would actually sit on David's throne and reign forever and ever. This was common knowledge in Jesus' day. 
that the fact that Messiah was coming. Even the woman at the well in John 4, this Samaritan woman who is considered less than adequate because she was only half Israelite and the Israelites looked down on her, said to Jesus, we know that Messiah is coming. So just in everyday homes, they were looking for Messiah. And Matthew is writing to show that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Christ. The Greek word for anointed one. Same as Messiah, the Hebrew word. And as we've come to the section that we are now in, in Matthew's record of the gospel account, we found that Israel as a nation has rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Now we know from Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 that one day Israel as a nation will put trust in Jesus. And they will come to Jesus as their Messiah. And Jesus Christ will take David's throne and reign over that promised kingdom that's foretold in the Old Testament. Passages like 2 Samuel 7 say that this Messiah, this anointed one, this descendant of David, will sit on David's throne forever. He will be a son of God. He will reign over a kingdom of righteousness and peace. But Israel rejected him. And so as we've come to Matthew 13, we've found a series of parables that actually introduce truth that the Old Testament prophets had not yet seen. Truth, new truth about a mystery form of the kingdom that would take place until the Messiah will come and sit on David's throne. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, we read, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And that little verse actually forms kind of a theme or an overriding uh, theme of all of these parables of Matthew chapter 13. This mystery form of the kingdom where we can't reach out and touch it, we can't see it necessarily... But instead of God working with the nation of Israel, he's working with individuals, men and women and boys and girls from all tribes and nations, bringing them into the kingdom through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So all of these parables in Matthew 13 result from Jesus Change in emphasis of his ministry and his teaching after the nation of Israel formally rejected him as their Messiah. Jesus introducing this mystery form of the kingdom that, that goes from his ministry on earth after Israel had rejected him all the way to when he comes back to earth and sets up his kingdom here on earth. This mystery form of the kingdom where men and women and boys and girls enter through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read 
three more parables today. Last week we looked at the parable of the soils. Today we're going to see three more. The parable of the wheat and darnel or tares. The parable of the mustard seed. And the parable of the yeast hidden in the flour. All shedding light on the nature of this mystery form of the kingdom. I'll read out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Starting in Matthew chapter 13 verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it's full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house And his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Israel is expecting... A mighty entrance of the kingdom. They're expecting a political ruler to come in, rid them from underneath Roman rule, and to usher in a mighty kingdom. That's what they expect. Jesus is going to share with them something very different. That... The kingdom actually is going to begin with almost a undetectable beginning. A very small beginning. But it will grow to the ends of the earth. And unlike 
the kingdom that will one day come to fruition when David sits or when Jesus sits on David's throne. And it will be marked by righteousness and peace. This intermediate mystery form of the kingdom to which we enter as we put faith in the person of Jesus Christ actually faces opposition. That's something that the Old Testament prophets did not see. That in this mystery form of the kingdom, God's kingdom will exist alongside of Satan's kingdom, which will oppose God's kingdom. Something quite unexpected. My wife Barbara and I lived in Dallas, Texas for five years as I was in graduate school. In my last couple of years of graduate school, I was burnt out. I was just tired. I just wanted to get out of Dallas, Texas so bad. I was so tired of living in the big city. We used to some nights just get in our car and drive down to Siegelville, Texas. And go to Dairy Queen. Just as the Southern Baptist Church was let out. People would come in after church. Talk about how the organist did. And we'd just sit back and eat our ice cream. In this little town of Siegelville. It was great. Just wanted out of that place. Well I went to one of my mentors. A guy named Bob Sahlstrom. And and said Bob I'm burnt out of this place. And he said you know what. You need to get more involved in people's lives. You're just spending too much time analyzing Hebrew. And uh, so I did, and Barbara and I started ministering to Ethiopian refugees. And we actually kind of adopted a couple. The husband's name was Nugase, and the wife's name was Ayanalam, and they had a little boy. And we kind of just adopted them and helped them as they their first stop in the U.S. was Dallas. Just help them get acclimated to life in the United States. We help teach them English. We just work with them on just very practical things of life. One thing surprised me. That Dallas did not welcome them. In fact, they were opposed. My friend Nugase went and bought a new car. He was so excited came to show me the car, it was used, came to show me the car and I looked at the paperwork and he, they had signed him up for over 20% interest on the car. He purchased a TV from a private party, got the box home, opened it up and the person had filled the box with just junk just to make it feel like there was a TV inside. They were continually harassed. And I just couldn't believe that. I I didn't understand why they would face such opposition here in the United States. Here they were foreign to our city, the city of Dallas, and yet they were opposed. Surprising. And one of the things that happens to us is that we get caught off guard. Forgetting that what we talked about last week, this is not really our home. Our citizenship is in heaven as followers of Jesus. 
And at the moment we put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ, we become kingdom people. And one of the things that we forget as kingdom people, part of this mystery form of the kingdom in which we now are, is kingdom people, we face opposition. And so Jesus' message in these three parables is a message of something that starts little. Twelve guys, just common guys who follow Jesus, fishermen, tax collector. Twelve guys were the beginning of a kingdom that will stretch to the uttermost corners of the earth. But that kingdom exists amidst, in the midst of opposition. I want us to begin first by looking at the two short parables in this section. The parable of the mustard seed and the yeast hidden in the flour. Verses 31 through 33 and then verses 34 and 35 remind us that as Jesus taught in parables, he's actually fulfilling Old Testament scripture. In these two parables, they basically share the same message that this new form of the kingdom has an insignificant beginning but spreads throughout the world. Twelve guys. But the message of Jesus will permeate the hardest, the darkest of places. It will spread throughout the world. Jesus tells it this way. Verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. So Jesus just looks to a common everyday life. In that culture in the ancient Near East, the mustard seed would have been the smallest common seed that they could think of. And Jesus says, just think about that tiny mustard seed. The tiniest of seeds, but when it goes into the ground and germinates and sprouts and grows to its full size, it's so big that birds can nest in it, can rest up there in that mustard seed plant. The largest of the plants. The birds don't have any further significance in this parable than simply to show the size of the mustard seed plant. Jesus is saying this, unlike what Israel was expecting, the Davidic kingdom where Jesus will sit on David's throne forever and ever over a kingdom of peace and righteousness, which is still coming and it is going to come. But since Israel rejected Messiah, since Israel rejected Jesus, There is a intermediate form, a mystery form of the kingdom. And in that kingdom, it won't have a significant beginning at all. It begins with just a small little band of guys who take the message of Jesus and it spreads and it spreads throughout the world. Next parable, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Simple parable. 
you have some yeast. A woman puts yeast into her flour and that yeast causes the flour to expand. Same message. That the kingdom will have a transformative work in the lives of people. It expands. A couple of years ago, Barbara and I had the privilege of hearing Alton Brown speak here in Cedar Rapids from Food Network fame. And Alton Brown was talking about when he was in college, early in his career, he was living, I think, in California. And he worked for a restaurant and his job was to make the bread. He came in early in the morning, made the bread, only to realize that he'd forgotten to put the salt in the bread and thought, I don't want to get in trouble. I've got to start over. So he took the dough that he made for that day at the restaurant and put it in the dumpster. He goes on and starts more bread. His co-workers come and said, dude, you got a problem. you got to go out to the parking lot. Remember, he's in California. He goes out to the parking lot and the yeast in that dough has expanded and there's dough pushing up out of the dumpster, making the lid of the dumpster come up. And then he thinks, now what am I going to do? So he calls the garbage company and says, would you send a truck to come empty our dumpster? Remember, this is California. So the dump, the truck gets there and it's so hot that the bread dough has started to bake in the dumpster. And so as he's lifting the dumpster up, it won't come out. And so the garbage truck had to go down the road with this dumpster up in the air with this kind of loaf of bread hanging down. That yeast just permeated everything and it caused it to grow. And Jesus here saying, that's like this, the kingdom now. The message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God, that he loved us so much and saw our sin problem, that sin causes us to be separated from God, that he came to earth and took on humanity by being born of a virgin. And as the God-man lived a sinless life on earth, so that he could die to pay the price for all of our sin. And he did pay that price. And when we believe in him, his payment for sin is credited to the account of our lives. And we become God's children. We become part of his kingdom. We become kingdom people. And Jesus is saying that that message, even though this mystery form of the kingdom had a very insignificant beginning, it permeates throughout the world. I have a friend from Pakistan. She grew up in a Muslim home. And as a young girl in Pakistan, she heard radio broadcasts from Back to the Bible broadcast, which is dear to my heart because I served on the board of directors at Back to the Bible for two terms. And through those radio broadcasts, in such a closed place as Pakistan, She heard the message of Jesus. She later became a college exchange student and ended up going to the University of Nebraska. And she's walking down the street in Lincoln and what does she see? Back to the Bible. This, 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 how can that be? This is in Lincoln, Nebraska and I heard it in Pakistan. The most hard, the hardest of places is not impenetrable 
to the good news about Jesus. And she put her faith in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we're going to see when we come back to Matthew and get to the end of the book is that this message that Jesus shares here, that the gospel will have a small beginning, but will go to the ends of the earth, is a message that is central to what Jesus' charge is for us today. And we'll come and we'll see in the end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus telling us as Jesus' followers that we have an obligation, a charge, a mission to be global Christians. All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he restated that same commission with a little different emphasis in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. We said last week in our series here that, that we are kingdom people. And as kingdom people, we are to have a global mindset. And the question that we can ask ourselves today is, am I a global Christian? One of the things that, that I have been doing just in my personal life, uh, many of us are familiar with the little prayer guide, um, uh, that, 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 that is out by Operation Mobilization. Um, I use a, a smaller one called Pray for the World. And it's it's uh, just about that thick. You can order it through Amazon. Pray for the World. And it has just helped me in my own prayer times just to have little glimpses of how I can be praying for other places throughout the world. Um, it was so good to have Lance and Katie here with us this morning. Uh, I personally have been praying that God will be raising up more people from within our church family that will uh, seek to go out into the world as full-time missionaries. It's such a joy to see Lance and Katie pursuing that. And as we pray... For commission missionaries like the Norse and the Leesons and the Ryans and, and soon Lance and Katie and Connie Hung, others. As we pray for them, we actually share in their ministry. That's what the New Testament tells us. That as we pray, we actually are in the ministry that their reward will share in their reward. As we give financially, we share in their reward. We encourage every regular attender here at Faith Bible Church to give financially to at least one of our commission missionaries. And if you'd like to find out more about that, you could talk to Pastor Levi or myself or Dave McCormick, one of our elders that works with missions, partnering so that we, each of us, has an opportunity to be a global 
Christian. One of my dreams for Faith Bible Church is that we will soon get to a point where we are sending out regular teams of short-term missionaries. Global Christians. And here Jesus is saying this, this, this message that we have, while this mystery form of the kingdom started out with very meager beginnings, very small, imperceptible, it grows to the uttermost corners of the earth. Now, around those two parables, Jesus reminds us of something that was foreign to the Old Testament prophets. And that is in this form of the kingdom that one enters through faith in Jesus Christ. In this form of of the kingdom, we face opposition. That this new form of the kingdom is present in the world alongside Satan's kingdom. Alongside opposition from Satan. And that's the point of the parable in verses 24 through 30 of the wheat and the darnel. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. The tares, the weed here is most likely a plant called darnel. It's, it's part of the wheat family. And it looks like wheat until right at the end of its cycle. Jesus' parable says that farmer goes out. He's a grain farmer. And he sows his wheat. And toward the end of the life of the crop, his servants, his hired hands, recognize that there's a problem. Didn't you use good seed? They said to the farmer. My, I have a brother-in-law who farms up in North Dakota about 15 miles from the Canadian border. He has a seed cleaning plant. Unlike here in Iowa where if you try to reseed the corn that you grew or try to reseed the soybeans that you grew, you'd get in big trouble for doing that because it's all patented. But For wheat farmers, there's some open uh, wheat seed, open class wheat seed that you can grow your crop and then replant what you grew. And some guys do that and they bring it to my brother-in-law to clean. And he runs it through a series of sieves that gets all of the weeds out of it. I could just say, hey, Mike Dick, did you not get the weed seed out of this wheat That's what they're saying. And the farmer says, no, there's an enemy. 
And he's a sneaky one. He came in at night while you all are asleep. And he planted that weeds. And they say, well, should we pull it up? And Jesus says, no. We'll wait till the harvest is ready. And then we'll take all of the darnum, darnel. And uh, we'll bundle it and we'll burn it. And then we'll bring the rest of the wheat into the barn. Well, just like last week in the parable of the soils, Jesus pulls the 12 back into a house, probably the same house as in 13.1. And he explains the parable to his disciples. He says in verse 37, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Remember, that's a title for the Messiah from Daniel chapter 7, referring to himself. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one, the enemy. Verse 39, it's the devil. And so we find that we have these two opposing kingdoms residing together. 1 John chapter 5 verse 19 talks about Satan's kingdom when the apostle John says we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Two opposing kingdoms. So what Jesus says is at the end of the age, verse 40, is going to be harvest time. And at the end of the age, his angels will go and gather all of those who stood in opposition to Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 42, we'll throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here at Faith Bible Church, we believe that at any moment, Jesus Christ can come back for the church. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we will meet him in the air. And it's Bible teachers refer to that as the rapture. It could happen today. We believe that rapture will happen and then there will be a seven year long period of tribulation. And at the end of that tribulation, Jesus Christ will come back with the church And set up that Davidic kingdom that we saw promised clear back in 1 Samuel 7. And as Jesus comes back with the church to set up the kingdom, there's going to be a judgment there of those who are still alive. Matthew chapter 25 refers to it as the judgment of the sheep and the goats. There'll be another judgment later on for those who died who were opposing Jesus. But this judgment is for those who are still alive when Jesus Christ comes back to earth and to set up the Davidic kingdom. And those who are opposing him are going to be cast into hell. Those who are um, part of the kingdom, sons of the kingdom, those who believe in Jesus during that tribulation period... It says in verse 43 that they will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom. Now what I want us to really notice in these verses is that there is opposition. Just think of the opposition words. Verse 25, the enemy came. Verse 25, 
He so tears. Verse 38, the evil one. Verse 39, the enemy, the devil. Verse 41, the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness will be removed. We live here in this present world alongside opposition from Satan. It's important for us to remember that. Yesterday, Barbara and I were able to take care of our two of our little granddaughters. Oh, we love being grandparents. It is so fun. And our oldest, who's four, has a little bicycle. She hasn't quite got it all down yet, but she loves to talk about it and to think about riding her bike. If you can think back to when you first rode a bike, when we first ride a bike, we think about everything, don't we? We're, we're cognizant of, okay, I've got to pedal and I've got to maintain balance and I've got to keep steering straight and we think about the whole thing. But after we learn how to ride a bike, we don't think about it at all, right? It's just natural. We just get on. We don't think about, I've got to maintain balance. We don't think about steering. We don't think about pedaling. We just do it. And one of the things that happens in the Christian life is that when a person first becomes a Christian, we oftentimes are very purposeful. We're very purposeful about learning more about Jesus and reading our Bible. And we're very purposeful about spending time with other Christians so that we can be encouraged and, and spur each other on in our faith. And we're purposeful about having a time where we pray to God. And then as we keep going on in our Christian walk, we tend to start... It just kind of starts becoming second nature and we, and we don't think about what we're doing quite as much and it just kind of becomes natural. And one of the things that we don't think about is the fact that every day living the Christian life, it is lived out in the midst of a spiritual battlefield. We don't think about it. And yet the New Testament warns us that we should be constantly aware that we have opposition. I'm going to read three verses in quick succession that reminds us of Satan's opposition to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says this. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16 says this. Ephesians 6 16. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith. With which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Just reminding us of the battle that we are in. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in a very real way, as Christians, we probably need to try to take a step back and not let it be so intuitive. 
that we need to be cognizant of the spiritual battle that we're in and that we need to be practicing the spiritual disciplines. And it's important for us to get together with our brothers and sisters in Christ so we can encourage them and they can encourage us and we can pray for each other and bear one another's burdens. Again, that's why we stress small groups and we stress growth groups and ABFs here so that we can live out the Christian life in community. And Jesus reminds us in these parables that we are have a calling as global Christians with a global mindset but to never forget that that calling comes in the midst of opposition. Father, I thank you for these verses and the reminder that there is one who wants to bring us down. And it's so important for us to confess our sin and to walk with brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage each other and bear each other's burdens and build each other up. And we thank you for your calling on our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.